Zechariah 11, and that is our text tonight. Zechariah 11. Listen to this. This is the very word of God. Open your doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour your cedars. Wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen, for the glorious trees are ruined. Wail, oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has been felled. The sound of the wail of the shepherds, for their glory is ruined. The sound of the roar of the lions, for the thicket of the Jordan is ruined. Thus said the Lord my God, Become shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. Those who buy them, slaughter them, and go unpunished. And those who sell them say, Blessed be the Lord, I have become rich. And their own shepherds have no pity on them. For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land, declares the Lord. Behold, I will cause each of them to fall into the hands of his neighbor, and each into the hand of his king, and they shall crush the land, and I will deliver none from their hand. So I became the shepherd of the flock doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders. And I took two staffs. One I named Favor, the other I named Union, and I tended the sheep. In one month I destroyed the three shepherds, but I became impatient with them, and they also detested me. So I said, I will not be your shepherd. What is to die, let it die. What is to be destroyed, let it be destroyed, and let those who are left devour the flesh of one another. I took my staff, favor, and I broke it, annulling the covenant that I had made with all the peoples. So it was annulled on that day, and the sheep traders who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Then I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out my wages as my wages, 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Then I broke my second staff, union, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. Then the Lord said to me, take once more the equipment of a foolish shepherd, For behold, I am raising up in the land a shepherd who does not care for those being destroyed or seek the young or heal the maimed or nourish the healthy, but devours the flesh of the fat ones, tearing off even their hoofs. Woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his arm be wholly withered, his right eye utterly blinded. And that's the reading of God's word. Let's ask him to teach us from it and bless it to us tonight. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the holy scriptures. They were written for our instruction and so our prayer, our humble and yet our confident prayer is that you would be our instructor tonight and teach us from your holy word. For we ask this in the name of and for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> you know, we preach expo- expositionally through, through books of Scripture, and it's uh, 
for that reason that we come to a chapter like this. You know, if somebody had a chance week to week to just decide what did he want to preach on, uh, probably not very likely that someone would say, oh, I think I'll preach Zechariah 11 today. Um, when we think of cherished and dearly beloved passages of Scripture, I think some of the most beloved passages are those I am statements of Jesus that we find in the gospel according to John. There are seven of them, and each one of them is rich with meaning and full of instruction and encouragement for us. So Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He said, I'm the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who loves Jesus has to love those statements, don't you think? And among them, of course, is that statement, especially relevant to our text in Zechariah, when Jesus told the people, I am the good shepherd. And I say this is relevant to Zechariah because over the centuries of the history of the covenant people, God sent to them messengers. He graciously sent them leaders. But by and large, the people rejected all those that God sent to them. This, to a great extent, really summarizes the history of the Jews. As Jesus himself pointed out in that passage we just read not long ago. So, once they rejected God's ultimate and final gift to them, the good shepherd, God sent them a bad shepherd. He sent them the leaders that they deserved. And that's really what this chapter of Zechariah is all about. Now, verses 1 through 3 of the text kind of stand on their own, and there are differences of opinion among scholars about whether these three verses really maybe belong to chapter 10 and serve as a conclusion of that, or whether they're sort of an introduction to chapter 11. Uh, whatever the case, they are clearly a lamentation and a call to mourning. But the odd thing about it is, it's a call not to people, but to trees. Cypress, oaks, cedars, all commanded to weep loudly and bitterly for their own demise. Then when we get to verse 3, there's uh, observation about shepherds and lions. And both shepherds and lions symbolize authority. They symbolize leaders. And that's going to figure into our, our text as well. And in verse 3, these can be heard lamenting the downfall of the trees. Now, deforestation is, is tragic enough in and of itself, uh, but the situation is worse than that because the cedars of Lebanon and the oaks of Bashan uh, were those regions' pride and joy. And they were the source of their economic prosperity. And so for the forests to be consumed by fire uh, would devastate the economies of the people of Lebanon, the people of Bashan, and deprive them of the glory. So these verses are a harbinger of the coming desolation, probably related to the doom that we see later in the chapter. But our focus will be mainly on verse 4, starting at verse 4 and going through the rest of this chapter. And what these verses teach us, what this chapter teaches us, 
is that it is a dangerous and deadly thing to reject God's shepherd. It's a dangerous and deadly thing to reject God's shepherd. The first thing we're going to see is Zechariah the prophet is commissioned as a shepherd. There are differences of opinion about the things Zechariah was apparently called to do in this chapter. Uh, Becoming a shepherd could indicate that he actually assumed some measure of leadership role or responsibility among the people and actual events associated with his term of leadership are are, uh, recorded here. Another possibility though, and I think this one's more likely, is that God was calling Zechariah to perform what could be called sign actions. A sort of role playing that dramatizes a prophetic message from God. And that kind of thing is not at all uncommon with the prophets and God's messengers. God sent Jeremiah to do this very sort of thing. Uh, If you've read the prophecy of Jeremiah, maybe you came across that passage where God calls him to do a a sign action regarding a loincloth and how it becomes ruined and it symbolizes God's people or, or the broken flask in chapter 19 of Jeremiah. And then Ezekiel was called upon to perform numerous different sign actions. He did one that depicted the siege of Jerusalem, and he did another that depicted Jerusalem's captivity. So I think it makes sense to see a similar kind of dramatic parable taking place here in Zechariah 11, where the prophet is playing the role of a shepherd while giving commentary, speaking the word of the Lord in order to explain the visual component of his message. So I think that's what's at work here. And the reason it's such an effective and poignant message has to do in part with the term or title shepherd. In ancient times, and especially among the Hebrews, shepherd was a term for leaders or for rulers. It's interesting that Israel's most notable leaders had been actual shepherds before God called them to serve in some leadership capacity among his people. Both Moses and David were keepers of sheep before they took office as leaders of men. And the scriptures use shepherding language to speak of Moses even after he was the leader of the people and the mediator of the of the covenant. Uh, The scriptures use shepherding language to speak of Joshua as well, and of the judges, and of the kings. Isaiah's prophecy calls Cyrus, king of Persia, a shepherd. So you see, that's a term that's, that's used, and it's a very appropriate term, but it's used to speak of leaders or rulers. And ultimately, God himself is called a shepherd, isn't he? The universally known opening of Psalm 23 probably comes very readily to mind. The Lord is my shepherd. But beyond that, Psalm 28, 9 says, Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. And Psalm 80 begins, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. So in this metaphorical leadership sense of the word, God commissioned Zechariah to act out the role of a shepherd of his people. 
But there's a, a horrifying description of God's people as a flock. They're called, in our text, the flock doomed to slaughter. They're depicted as being sold. Those buying them simply slaughter them. And those selling them just use the transaction as a means to amass wealth. That's all they're interested in. They want to make money, and they're selling the sheep. And the whole time, their leaders, their own shepherds, as it's put in verse 5, have no pity on them. And into that scenario comes Zechariah. And an important part of this, the overall sign action that he's performing, that he's uh, acting out here, are these two staffs. Staffs were normal equipment for shepherds. But in this case, they bear heavy freight in terms of prophetic significance. He calls one favor as a sign of the grace of God to his people. He calls the other union, signifying the unity of the covenant people, as well as union with their God. And that's how Zechariah's tenure as a shepherd begins. That's how he hits the stage in his sign act. And it uh, doesn't begin with very good prospects because God himself calls him the shepherd to a, to a doomed flock. But he takes up the work in faith and obedience to the Lord his God. Then we see that he has a, a disappointing tenure. That's our second point. Things didn't go well for Zechariah as shepherd of Israel. And again, it's, an, it's a matter of debate whether his task was exclusively a sign action or perhaps Zechariah actually assumed some leadership authority among the people. In either case, though, the scenario that's presented to us here is one in which the shepherd is frustrated with his people and they are dissatisfied with him. Things don't go well and his disappointing tenure comes to an end pretty quickly. Now, if you look at verse 8, it's a little bit awkward in the ESV. It starts out by saying, in one month I destroyed the three shepherds. Uh, the Hebrew word represented by the word destroyed here can simply mean to make disappear. And that's why if you're looking at a different translation, a different version, it might say, I dismissed the three shepherds or I got rid of them. Uh, so the situation seems to be that Zechariah was sort of in a supervisory role over subordinate shepherds, and essentially he fired three of them. And then the ones that he became impatient with, as the text says, probably refer to the flock and or any other remaining under shepherds that were in the picture. But the overall sense is mutually unpleasant it's a mutually disagreeable relationship and Zechariah says they detested me and so he quit he left the flock to their own devices if you look again at verse 9 it seems to indicate some were dying and Zechariah said let them die some were headed for destruction it's the same word as um, destroyed in verse 8 but here I think it refers to slaughter 
Some were headed for slaughter, and he said, so be it. And let those who are left devour the flesh of one another. That's the end of verse 9. Such a bleak picture. This whole chapter seems to portray the entire nation as being destined for destruction. If you look back at verse 4, it suggests that the whole flock is doomed for slaughter. And that's exactly how Zechariah describes them in verse 7. Look at verse 6. God says, For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land, declares the Lord. Behold, I will cause each of them to fall into the hand of his neighbor and each into the hand of his king, and they shall crush the land, and I will deliver none from their hand. And then look at verse 16. There, God announces, For behold, I am raising up in the land a shepherd who does not care for those being destroyed or seek the young or heal the maimed or nourish the healthy, but devours the flesh of the fat ones, tearing off even their hoofs. Andrew Hill, writing in the Tyndale commentary, explains that last statement. He says, the expression tearing off their hoofs is a cryptic Hebrew idiom for the wanton and ravenous search for the last morsel of edible meat on an animal carcass by a predator or scavenger. Again, what could be more bleak than that? Well, if anything could make it more bleak, it would have to be that last piece of this sign act that Zechariah performs by breaking those two staffs. Favor is broken as a visible sign of what God had already spoken back in verse 6. I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land. Union was broken as a symbol of the divided kingdom and the broken fellowship between Judah and Israel. And in verse 11, it says that the people who observed those actions perceived that this message came from Yahweh. It came from the Lord himself. So amid all this despair of this tragic scene the Lord doesn't offer the slightest mitigating hope verses 12 and 13 may have rung a a bell for you Matthew's gospel connects those verses with the reward that was given to Judas for betraying the Lord Jesus clearly the monetary sum there is exactly the same 30 pieces of silver But um, if you compare Zechariah 11 with uh, Matthew's gospel, there are other details that don't seem to to line up perfectly. And if you read the passage in Matthew, Matthew says that the prophecy came from Jeremiah, not from Zechariah. Uh, Well, I think the best solution to that um, seeming problem is to, to take Matthew's quote as an amalgamation of words of Jeremiah and Zechariah. He puts them together into one quote, and then he just makes one attribution, and he attributes the passage, or attributes the, the, the prophetic word to the more prolific of the two, which of course would be Jeremiah. Mark does the same thing, by the way, at the beginning of his gospel. He, he says, uh, he says uh, according to the prophet Isaiah, and then he quotes passages from both Isaiah and Malachi, but he only credits Isaiah. But anyway, the, the main point of the 30 pieces of silver is that for a shepherd, 
and for his labors. It wasn't a very uh, generous salary. The people gave Zechariah a pretty meager wage for his time served as their shepherd. Just reflective of the fact that they had very low regard for him. Low regard for God's messenger. And that resonates in the New Testament because Judas betrayed the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords for the price of a common slave. Well, then finally, we have a curse declared on the worthless shepherd because there's one other role play that Zechariah has to perform. God commands him in verse 15, take once more the equipment of a foolish shepherd. A foolish shepherd this time. This time Zechariah is to represent a shepherd or a leader that God is going to raise up in the land sometime in the future who will have no care whatsoever for the flock. No matter what their condition, whether they're wounded, dying, young, healthy, this shepherd will completely neglect the flock. And we see an interesting uh, intersection here between the sovereignty of God and the moral responsibility of man. Because God is raising up this bad shepherd. He said so. He's raising up a bad shepherd as an act of judgment upon the people. And yet, the shepherd's going to be held accountable for his actions and for his dereliction of duty to the people. That's how the chapter ends with verse 17. Look at it. Woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his arm be wholly withered, his right eye utterly blinded. In some way or other, Zechariah was called upon to symbolize the bad shepherd. He was called to give prophetic confirmation of things that were to come. And as we see so clearly in numerous other places in Holy Scripture, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility exist side by side without contradiction. So on the one hand, God says in verse 16, I am raising up in the land a shepherd who does not care for the flock. And on the other hand, he announces in verse 17, woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. This is essentially the same dynamic as we find with Judas Iscariot. In Matthew 26, verse 24, Jesus said, The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Curse on the worthless shepherd. As we come to a few points of application here at the end. One important point of application that can be introduced at this point is in reference to that relationship between the sovereignty of God and the moral responsibility, moral agency of man. And what I want to encourage you all to do is to be careful to adopt a Hebrew perspective on this relationship as opposed to a Greek perspective. Because These two different perspectives are founded upon two very profoundly different worldviews. The Greek or Western worldview sees God's sovereignty and man's responsibility as incompatible. 
To the Greek mind, the two notions are at odds. If God is sovereign, then he can't hold man responsible. Or if man is responsible, God can't truly be sovereign. That's the Greek way of reasoning about these issues. And that Greek mentality has heavily influenced Western society. The Hebrew worldview, in contrast, acknowledges, on the one hand, the fact of God's sovereignty and the fact of man's responsibility and accepts that they stand together without contradiction. And that's the perspective we need to embrace. Why? Because it's based on Scripture. Those two truths, although they appear to be in tension with one another to our minds, they're both taught very clearly by the scriptures and so we're to believe them and by and large the jews the hebrews did god's sovereign i'm responsible life goes on so i encourage you to embrace that hebrew perspective on that issue but beyond that what do we make of zechariah 11 what does it mean for us how does it apply Well, there are differing opinions among Old Testament scholars, and having considered several viewpoints myself, I think this is how we should understand the chapter. These sign acts that we find in Zechariah 11 ultimately portray the people's rejection of the Lord and of his anointed. They are the flock doomed to slaughter because of their sins. God sent shepherds to them, and they detested and rejected God's shepherds. That's what Jesus talked about in Matthew 23. This was fulfilled in the ministry of Moses, whom time and time again the people thrust aside. That's exactly how Stephen, when he was on trial before the the Jewish council, described it. They thrust Moses aside. It found further fulfillment with every messenger that God sent to his people. All of whom they persecuted, rejected, or killed. And it's ultimately fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. Whom God sent to his people. The chosen one. The promised one who was despised and rejected by his own. He came offering the favor of God to them, and they turned him away, rejecting God's covenant, breaking the staff of favor. Jesus came as the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd, he said. He came to bestow favor. He came to create union, but he was despised and rejected, betrayed and killed. And after they crucified their long-expected Messiah, God sent them another shepherd, a bad shepherd, who would desert them and usher in their destruction. And it's not necessary for us to see this worthless shepherd in verse 17 as representing any single specific ruler or leader. The bad shepherd represents all the leaders God would give them in the future days. In the days following Christ, leaders who would guide the nation to destruction just a few decades after Jesus ascended into heaven. The worthless shepherd represents the kind of leaders that the people deserved. The kind of leaders we deserve, frankly. But in effect, 
Jesus was sent to his own, and his own rejected him. And they said in as many words, we do not want this man to rule over us. There's a very somber application for this text for anyone who has heard the gospel message and rejected it. You've refused the good shepherd. God's offer of grace is extended to you even now, but you won't turn to him in repentance and faith, and it may soon be too late. Before you know it, God may place bad shepherds over you and set you on an irreversible path to everlasting destruction. This passage teaches that it's a dangerous and deadly thing to reject God's shepherd. He offers you the Lord Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. If you reject that offer, you'll soon find yourself under a shepherd you deserve. There's a word of exhortation here in this text to all shepherd leaders. And that applies, of course, to officers in the church, but it goes even further than that. It applies to anyone who teaches Sunday school or leads a Bible study. Anyone in a position of oversight or management of others in or out of the church. Everyone who's a parent charged with the nurture and upbringing of children. All those who are in any kind of shepherd leader position are charged with the care of those whom God has entrusted to them. You're called to do the things that the bad shepherd would not do. What did it say the bad shepherd, the worthless shepherd, wouldn't do? He wouldn't care for those who were suffering. But we're called to do that. He wouldn't seek those who were straying from right paths, but we are called to do that. He wouldn't promote the healing and recovery of those who are spiritually injured. We're called to do that. And what about the ones that are healthy, that are doing fine? We're called to nurture and feed them and nourish them. But the final application that I want to make from this passage as we close is a, is a gospel application, one that I hope you'll be encouraged by, all you who are trusting in Christ for salvation, because you can rejoice that Jesus Christ still holds out to you the staff of favor. The Hebrew word for favor is the source of the name Naomi. Remember when Naomi came back from Moab, she said, don't call me Naomi, because the name means pleasant. Jesus holds out the staff of favor. His ways are pleasantness. All his paths are peace. In the prophet's sign act, in chapter 11, the, fa- the staff of favor was broken. But that favor is still intact and still firmly in the hand of the Savior for everyone who trusts in him. And nothing can break the union we have with Christ in the gospel. It is a dangerous and deadly thing to reject God's shepherd. But if you embrace God's shepherd, there is shalom, there is peace, there is favor. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for being the good shepherd and for being patient with rebellious sheep. Lord, help us to be faithful in following you. Help us to hear your voice. And help us... uh, safely home to you at last. We pray for people we love, people we know who have rejected the message. Lord, may they reject it no longer. Change their hearts. 
cause them to find the favor that is found in your gospel. Now, once again, we commit this week to you and ask your blessing upon us. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.